Run if you must. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't let them catch you. <laughs> the Slashers. And welcome to The Slashers, a podcast where three film critics, that's us, with wildly different tastes, delve into the golden age of the slasher horror genre. We dig in year by year, and we present awards for our favorites, and we discuss. I'm Megan from Spoiler Piece Theater. I'm Paul from The Countdown. I'm Jason from Binge Movies. All right, on this episode... We're going to dig into our blood pool, and this episode, we are starting part one of 1981, and we had to break it up because it is such a massive year with so many great slasher horrors to talk about. We're going to be talking about Home Sweet Home, which came out January 1st, 1981, Night School, which came out January 7th, 1981, My Bloody Valentine, which was released February 11th, 1981, and The Fun House, March 13th. 1981. All right. So, my fellow film critics, what <laughs> are your general impressions of 1981 and of the four films that we watched? I would just like to lead off by saying this is episode two officially of this brand new experiment that was such a more cheery, upbeat opening than what Paul did. Paul really got into the perversion of the the bluff (laughs) (laughs) and you're like oh we're film critics and we're going to talk about movies and give awards it was just wonderful so oh thank you (laughs) i'm just trying to drive a wedge wedge between you two since you have bullied me on the last episode (laughs) i think the correct terminology here is we helped you see the light in terms of your incorrect perspective on 1980 (laughs) slasher films Well, uh, 1980 was what it was. We're talking about 1981. As far as 1981 goes, this is the far superior year of movies, at least between what we have in our blood pool between 1981 and 1980. I I enjoyed uh, this year so much more than 1980. Uh, That is my sort of general take about it. I think we finally, at least with this slate of movies, we we have mostly gotten away from police procedural dramas. <laughs> and <Masquerade. plus> a, <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> not entirely. Oh, not entirely, yeah. but almost gotten away from it. And we're getting into the uh, a more eclectic, diverse storytelling. Uh, and I think we also see a little bit more of that Jalo influence this year, so. We'll get into it as yes. we go through part one and part two. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, without giving too much away about episode three, which will be part two of 1981, I much preferred the second half of the year than I did this first half, which has some of the, I don't know, the, the ratty, dodgy, low-budget production <laughs> following through into this God year. Damn. One of these Do you films. know what you signed up for? You're doing yeah. a <laughs> podcast about slashers. They're ratty. They're dodgy. They're low budget. Some they're of them morally, are awesome. 
They're morally questionable. That's well, why clearly, we're doing this. Clearly, I don't care about the morally reprehensive part. What I care about is whether or not it's an entertainingly put together film that manages to maintain your attention and your interest and doesn't come across like a cheap ass police procedural with some really shitty acting and even worse effects. So there's still a couple of these films that fall into that category here on Sorry in the first half of 1981. But overall, you can see the genre, the subgenre beginning to find its legs. There is some real hope. I find by the end of 1981 and that's why we're doing this particular podcast that's why we're doing this series and i i am crossing my fingers that as we progress through 82 and, and obviously we're finishing up in 84 by the end there we're gonna have seen some really great slashes and not just this how can i put it efforts to crawl before they can walk attempts at the same oh paul i was hoping <laughs> that negatron would stay in australia on a different nah podcast and you'd come on over and open your eyes if the acting is too good in a slasher movie it makes the premise ridiculous the act most of these premises premises prem, the premise, premise of most I? of these movies premise <laughs> i is ridiculous ludicrous gratuitous exploitative you need exploitation acting in exploitation movies if you get good actors and you stick them in a shit movie it just it makes the whole thing even shittier. What is going on with know. you? I don't know. Oh, I see, I don't agree at all. That one good actor. Sorry. Go yes, ahead. I'm with Paul. You need someone who's a good actor to ground it and give some gravitas. I completely agree with you, Paul. Sorry, Jason. I disagree. Once again, Jason. Jeez. If the no, 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 <laughs> man. If the if no, listen. If the budget is low and you have inexperienced filmmakers making it or porno directors making it. And the budget is low. The film quality stock is low. You you need commensurate actors. That's what brings part of the joy of watching a slasher. That is a hallmark of the genre. If you're going to embrace this genre for what it is, you've got to embrace the drive-in midnight movie roots. If all you're wanting is your high-end, top-tier, quote-unquote, elevated slashers, there's only five of uh. them in the entire fucking decade. There's <laughs> there the, okay. the, the vast majority of this genre we're limited release drive-in movies. You have to love the drive-in to love slashers. I have to interject because I despise more than anything the term elevated horror. It makes my skin crawl. It infuriates and enrages me because people act like elevated. And I'm not saying you, Jason, I'm just, but you brought it up. People talk about elevated horror as if all horror is terrible. And so the quote elevated horror is setting it apart when that's just not true. And I think it's not a bad thing to have high standards within any genre and within any subgenre, including slashers. And listen, I love schlocky films that are fun and goofy and silly too, but they have to have something. They have to have either stellar cinematography, great special effects, a great actor. There has to be a craftsmanship of filmmaking there. And if it's not, I'm not saying you can't enjoy it, not saying it's not, you know, a fun, fluffy popcorn film. It can be. But I'm looking for something a little bit more. And, and there are plenty of slashers that I love. So I don't entirely agree with that premise that you have to just throw all of your <laughs> standards out the window and just enjoy the ride. I mean, if you want to, that's great. That's one way of looking at it. That's not the way I look at it. And it sounds like that's not the way Paul is looking at it. No. Yeah, clearly, clearly. <laughs> I think the one thing you missed there, with Megan, was and great kills. Good gory, yes. impressive deaths, yes. practical effects. You said special effects. So, yes, that's the other thing that I'm looking for. I want to be wowed by, oh, how did I do that? 
what was right, the, right. the thinking behind that practical effect? Because, of course, we don't have to worry about the crap CGI blood and effects that will come <laughs> the next century. What's become very clear to me on this podcast is episode one, what's my role in the show? Wasn't very sure. No, episode two, I now know my role in the show. My role in the show is to be the advocate for cult movies. Because I'm on doing a podcast with two people who do not like cult cinema for what it is. <laughs> I d- no, I don't be- agree because with that. cult I movies don't, don't have great kills. Cult movies don't, don't have your top tier special effects. They don't have top tier production. They don't have top tier cinematography. They don't have top tier screenplays, direction. That's what makes them cult movies. They don't have to be top tier. Memorable. Got to be something that right. comes together. Look, I I am very interested then in. Which of these films you like, Jason, in particular? Obviously, making spoiler. Well, I like all of them. Th- seriously, all four of these movies you like? Them? <laughs> I like three out of four. Oh, thank God! Yeah, that's still one too many. <laughs> and the <laughs> one, the one you think I don't like is the one I like. No, I was like, it's probably not the one you're yeah. thinking, Paul. <laughs> I have a feeling. Oh my God! <laughs> and I think we should just dive into it. It's 1981's Home Sweet it. Home. Sorry, I was going to say, since I'm the host, there was actually something else I wanted to talk about before we dive in. We're talking about commonalities. We're talking about common themes. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, because this is a recurring theme over and over and over again in all of these films in part one and in part two about class divides. And we're seeing that the rich versus the poor, the working class. It comes up over and over again. And I think that's a really interesting way to tie it into the conversation we're having here because I don't, I'm not of the mindset that you need to have a big budget or big name stars or you know big screenwriters in order to have a great film. I think that there's beauty in improvisation, there's beauty in guerrilla filmmaking, and I think that with a tiny budget, you can still maximize and have an excellent film or at least a really captivating film. So mm. just wanted to talk about that too. But yes, Jason, you want to dive into Home Sweet Home, so go for it. It's 7 a.m. in Los Angeles, and our top story continues to be the intensive police dragnet for an armed and dangerous escaped mental patient. 26-year-old Jay Jones escaped from the Hobart State Hospital for the criminally insane last night after killing an attendant and leaving a guard in critical condition. Jones was committed to Hobart eight years ago after a lengthy and well-publicized trial following the bludgeoning death of both of his parents. I want to dive into Home Sweet Home. It's, I think, maybe our first female-directed film, I think. It was directed by uh, Nettie Pena, who I think this is one of only a couple movies that she did. It stars yes. <laughs> Jake Steinfeld. Jake is the killer in this. Now, you might know Jake from a variety of things. Number one, he was most famous later in the 80s for home workout. Uh, he kind of became a fitness influencer. It was like him and Richard Simmons kind of competing. Richard was like the top, top. He was sort of... Uh, uh, heir apparent to Jack LaLanne, but then there was Jake Steinfeld. He had a program called Body by Jake and a series of workout tapes and whatever, whatever. Really big deal, made millions of dollars, but he's also known, he was the kind of original personal trainer to the stars. He did, uh, got Harrison Ford into the Indiana Jones shape for wow. Indiana Jones, Temple of Raiders Temple and Last Crusade. He is also Haley Steinfeld's uncle, and once you see it, you yes. cannot unsee it. Huh. Um, well, there you go. And see, I don't think they look alike. <laughs> oh, they look a lot alike. The film was prosecuted for obscenity, and it was actually seized and confiscated in the UK under Section 3 of the Obscene yep. Publications Act of 1959, a.k.a. the Video Nasties. So this is one that didn't 
it, it sort of gained an extra reputation over there because they didn't really oh keep God. those movies out of circulation. It just made them, you know, that much more taboo and that much more interesting to find. This is the strangest movie. If you ever wanted a movie with a rock and roll mime who is at a hotel slash group home <laughs> uh, being hunted by a random killer at Thanksgiving, there's no clear understanding of who the characters are, what they want, uh, uh, but you will get Body by Jake himself doing a Macho Man Randy Savage style flying elbow onto a human being, onto the the lid uh, of the car. Is it boot or bonnet over there, Paul? I don't know. I can't remember. But over the hood of the car. The bonnet, yeah. The bonnet of the car, smashing a guy to death. True body by Jake. He was bodied by Jake. This is the movie for you. This is. Yeah, he was. <laughs> so this is so bad Thank in you. all the best possible ways. Jake Steinfeld <laughs> maniacally laughing his way through this horrendous, bizarre film. Like, I loved it. I was like, this is the worst thing. This is absolute garbage. And I loved it. I spent this entire film with this incredulous look of disdain that only grew larger the further the film went. You just talked about the very best part of the film when he did do that flying elbow drop and crushed the guy with oh a bonnet. Oh my God, it was amazing. I lost it laughing. Amazing. I, like, it, this film needs about 73 more scenes of that <laughs> and then it might be half decent. But no, instead we get... I, I'm still trying to work out the relationship between these characters, which is barely drawn in. And like you say, a miming guy who carries, I guess... A guitar and amplifier, amplifier <laughs> to play to annoy his dad, uncle, whatever the, I think is his dad, and then and lecherously, does magic. Yeah, lecherously <laughs> hit yeah, on every woman that walks into the house. Yeah, don't forget the oh magic, Paul. <laughs> and I honestly or thought this film's going to end with him being the hero. Somehow we're gonna we're gonna end up rooting for him. No, nah, he just gets killed off as unceremoniously as everybody else. I'm like, what is this movie? This, now, this- well, hang on a second, Paul. We've done this. We've been down this road, buddy. You know the rule is there's always an annoying prankster character in a slasher movie. Oh, yes, he might take and the case. That's a trope of the genre, and they always fucking die. So you should have known as soon as a guy is in mime makeup with an electric guitar and amplifier doing close up <laughs> magic and being lecherous to Megan's point, that fucker's gonna die. He was marked for death the moment he put that kiss makeup on. I was hoping against hope because he was in it for so long doing the same fucking thing over and over again. Please end the pain. Thankfully, they had to get you to the point that you wanted him to die. Well, that happened within about three and a half (laughs) seconds. So well done, movie. Correct. Here I I thought Paul and I would do a slasher (laughs) podcast and it'd be fun. But it is fun because <laughs> Paul was in misery. I laughed and smiled this entire time because I knew, Paul, you would be in misery watching this movie. And, I, and I knew Megan would be the absolute wild card because you never know what you're going to get with her. So, Megan, tell me this movie is shit and I'm shit for putting it on the list. <laughs> oh, I would never. See, I'm not going to denigrate anyone for their joy or for what they put on the list. So, I will not do that. But this movie is absolute utter shit and trash. And <laughs> when your film, o- the only good part of this film is 
the car hood scene, which is just yep. so absurd and amazing. Yes. I mean, I love that kill. It's incredible. But that's the only memorable good part of the film, sadly. I mean, yes, the, the maniacal laughing is something to behold. But when you have <laughs> such horrendously awful editing, horrendously awful yes. cinematography, horrendously yeah. awful score every bad acting yeah. bad dialogue like everything yeah. is just yeah. so awful you have to have some great kills much to paul's point and the only great kill is the car hood which is incredible and wildly memorable i will never forget that so kudos to the film for that and i'm glad i watched it for that alone but the rest of this film was <laughs> tedious and and pure misery for me I put that kill and there's a couple other parts like the big, very, very beginning where the guy is like parked in his car in the city and he's listening to um, the radio. It's like a scap, you know, just the, the, the <laughs> urban legend trope of like escaped mental patient going around strangling and murdering people. He's just sitting there and then Jake Steinfeld appears in his window. It's like, <laughs> and just starts killing him. I, I, I was like, I know what I'm in for. I'm in for silent night, deadly night three or four where it's like, garbage day like that is this genre <laughs> the tier of film that we are in this movie should be memed i think the only reason why it isn't memed is because it kind of did it did got, it got a very limited release it 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 was not a video store favorite it kind of disappeared it's very hard to find and it's only recently like in the last 10 years begun to resurface and people were mostly stunned that Jake Steinfeld, Body by Jake, aka Big Brother Jake, who had a four-season sitcom on the Family Channel in the United States as an as a as a, a foster child who grew up to become a big strong man who adopted and fostered kids. This he had a squeaky family-friendly image. Lo and behold, he did this seedy, dark, ratty, shitty <laughs> exploitation <laughs> movie, and that's its claim to fame. And it's found a resurgence because of that. And I'm so glad that it did because I got to put Paul through the misery of watching it. And I got to watch it myself. And and the laughter. Paul, isn't it worth it just for the laughs? Megan, she laughed. Why didn't you laugh? The bit I that did I laugh. did laugh at and you were a double down and I knew exactly what kind of film we we're going to get. And you said this movie should be memed. This is a scene should be memed when he runs over the old lady. Old whilst- lady. <laughs> laughing as she crosses the road yes. with some of the worst editing that I've seen yes. since a student film that I once watched <laughs> at a you. TAFE graduation, which showed another person being hit by a car. It was at that level. I'm like, oh my yes. God, this is awful. That's the joy. You have to <laughs> modulate your brain and go, okay, I know what I'm in for. I'm in for this. I'm in for garbage day. So you modulate your brain and then you just take the ride and you laugh. And I was able to do that with this film, and uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I have nothing else to say about this film except to question <laughs> Jason's sanity, and I do worry a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I will say is that I think it is great that we are all coming to the table with our own perspectives and our own ideas of what brings us joy. And I am very sad that it did not bring us as much joy as it did you, Jason, but I am truly delighted it brought you so much joy. And I will say that kill was great. That kill was worth the price of admission. So <laughs> the old lady kill the guy in the car, the first time Jake Steinfeld appears and is just laughing maniacally. 
the 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 <laughs> trunk, the bonnet kill or the hood kill. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, there's there's at least so three good. memorable scenes. Uh, there's a lot. There is a lot of tedium in between, and we do not have a good transfer. I don't know if this one ever made it to vinegar syndrome or anywhere. I don't think so. It it might be out there. The transfer we have is not great. So I we need a 2K restoration of Home Sweet Home. Uh, put out like we need a hole or, in the head <laughs> or vinegar syndrome. And I'm gonna have Paul, I'm gonna have Paul and Megan revisit it once it gets into HD. Oh God! I think I'll pass. All right, Megan, what's next for us? <laughs> All right, our next film is Night School. Prepare for a lesson in terror. Night School came out January 7th, 1981 with Rachel Ward. Of all people. (laughs) I know. One of her first roles. So what did you guys think? Take everything Paul said about the uh, Home Sweet Home and apply it to this. This was an exceptionally tedious, extremely (laughs) slow-moving movie that really only had... It had higher production value. It definitely yes. had, you know, better cinematography. It had one gag in it. It's not a kill. It's a fake out that I thought was absolutely incredible. But the entire rest of the movie feels like any paint by numbers '90s thriller, which obviously the '90s thrillers essentially just absorbed and mainstreamed exploitation slasher fil- filmmaking. So this is a police procedural. Yeah, blah, blah 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 blah. And then this whole convoluted thing about. Whoa, this white lady is appropriating indigenous people's made up human sacrifice. And it's all because of sexual jealousy and getting rid of your sexual rival. Oh, it was just the only two things that were good about it was the the this is our first motorcycle helmet killer, which it will not be our last because this is like a sub nope. sub 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 genre. <laughs> and the beef stew fake out at the diner. I thought was oh, absolutely the fake out incredible. Is so good. So like that is exceptionally good filmmaking for this type of film. Don't disagree with any of what you said there, Jason. Like I said, the dreaded specter of the police procedural is back masquerading as a slasher film and prepare for a lesson in terror. This is tedious, it's painful, it's so, so predictable. You can see where it's going. <sighs> 35 minutes in the moment she has the conversation with the waitress at the at the cafe and then that waitress dies i'm like well there you go clearly we can see who the killer is here uh and this was i'm sure megan you might like to speak to this a little more but the sexual politics of the time in rampant display here is this white Mm -hmm. middle-aged middle class or maybe even upper class professor who's just basically hanging out at this girl's college to sleep with as many of the girls as he possibly can and then when there's a a woman who is running the college who clearly has some designs of her own. That's not okay, but it's okay for him to do this for as long as he wants until his girlfriend starts killing people for doing it. It's, yeah, it's gross in that way. And I, I did not enjoy my time with this one iota any more than I did with Home Sweet Home. Now, here's wow. the thing. We have to describe this beef stew thing because we all like it. That's the one thing we can all agree on. It takes, it, it's a huge chunk of the film. I'm like, the whole time, like, how long are we going to spend doing this for? <laughs> that, but the thing is, I loved it for that reason. Because there's a woman, the, the waitress gets decapitated, right? And so the next morning. None of morning, which you see, by the way. Can I just you know, add you don't get to this? It's pretty, you know what Lame. happened. 
No, you know what happened. And so the there's some construction workers who come into the diner, and the diner owner or the main guy who runs it. He comes in the morning, and they're like, "Oh, you know, they've already been working. They want some stew. Hungry. She's not We're there. She, yeah, we're hungry. Give, give us some coffee. Give us something to eat." And the lady who normally opens it and closes the, the shop, nowhere to be found. It's, the shop's in disarray. And so the entire time, we think that her head is going to be in this giant vat of stew. We think it's going to be in the refrigerator. We think it's going to be in the cupboard. We think it's going to be in the vat of stew. And fake out, fake out, fake out. And it builds tension, relieves tension, builds tension, relieves tension. This goes on forever. He, they get served the stew. They find hair in it. You think, oh, my God. This is going to be the reveal that they were eating head stew. And that was the he, grossest part of the whole movie. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and it turns out it was just hair. So and it, just random hair. Because when he drains it, there's no head in it. And I just, I, I thought this is incredible. I loved it. It's a great scene. It's great filmmaking. That is good filmmaking. It is. Yeah. I agree. Listen, I have a lot to say about this film. Prepare for a lesson in terror. But the thing I have to say first is I think it's hilarious you both did not like it. I thought this was great. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. This is the first real shock. No, second How shock. the <laughs> tables have turned. <laughs> How they have indeed. Like, listen, this is not a good film, but I enjoyed the hell out of this because specifically because of that beef stew fake out. And that is such a long drawn out scene in the kitchen. And it's just so great. And I loved it. But I, there's other things I love, too. And I have to say, as a Bostonian, this film got me right from the jump because it is not only set in Boston, it's actually filmed in Boston, which mm. many films that are set in Boston are not filmed in Boston. So there's that. And there's little touches of authenticity, like the fact of Austin, the lieutenant, saying to his wife or girlfriend, he's like, well, let's go. Let's drive down to the Cape. And this is such a minor thing, but whenever people talk about the Cape, that is the proper way to say it in Boston. You call it the Cape. You don't call it Cape Cod. You don't call it the Cape Cod. And that's what it's always a dead giveaway Mm. in other TV shows and films is when people have not lived here or ever been here, they just don't know. And so those are those little touches and seeing people like actually on Beacon Hill and actually by the aquarium that really like endeared this film to me. I was like, oh, I love this. Somebody actually did their due diligence. I really enjoyed that. And I liked the cinematography at night with the lamps. It was very, you know, evocative of The Exorcist. And I really dug that. So I was here for that. And I liked Rachel Ward's ridiculousness. I liked that we have a methodical woman killer. Like, yes, she is a rich white lady. She is appropriating, like you said, Paul, a fake tribe, which that is not a tribe. And oh my God, I mean, as an anthropology major in college, I can tell you firsthand how appropriative and racist anthropology has been historically. (laughs) And this Mm. is very indicative of that too. So arguably, you could make the argument that it is making a commentary on that. I don't think it is, but you could make that argument. I also love you mentioned the dean, uh, the woman Dean Paul, who is a lesbian, yep. and that it's okay for her to hit on students, but not Professor Millet. No, but no, I said it wasn't love... okay for her. That the film immediately kills her the moment that she's revealed to be doing this. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, but I, what I liked about her, as opposed to Professor Millet, because he's such a lecherous creep too, as many yep, of yep. the men in these films are. But what I really like about her is she, at least to her credit, asks for consent of the student yes. Susie or whatever her name is. So I like that. But yes, she does get she does meet her demise and die um, in a very 
gruesome strangling that we see behind or we don't see it's behind a door but yeah there was something about this I kind of dug it and I kind of like that Rachel Ward is like yep I had to do this for you and our baby and I'm just gonna kill people and if you want to go out and sleep with women they're just gonna have to die too and there's something just so calculated about that that I just found really delightful and refreshing even though this movie is not good and it is absurd I enjoyed it did you especially like the bit at the end when the lecherous asshole guy realizes the error of his ways and decides to die for his murderous uh, girlfriend and save their unborn baby? That was amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I took that like the that Gone Girl maybe. ending that should have happened. That was the, how a Gone Girl should have oh. ended where he, he realizes he's trapped with this absolutely insane person and they there's no himself. way out. So he just has to die. He does suicide by that, cop. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll take the I'll take I'll take the rap and get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about Gone Girl, though, is the fact that he does know he's trapped and he doesn't leave. Like he's trapped and he is stuck yes. in prison. I love I love Gone Girl. I love that ending. But anyway, I would have preferred Ben yeah, Affleck no, putting I... on a motorcycle helmet and a woman's leather jacket <laughs> that somehow fits him and gone out <laughs> into <laughs> and died in a hail of gunfire. It's amazing what uh, an angry, angry, jealously spurned person can do when uh, properly motivated in terms of... Exactly. Listen, (laughs) adrenaline. Adrenaline can make you very, very strong. And, you know, I also love women full of rage. And the fact that she is so rageful, again, I love seeing that. And I love that explored in horror films as well as in other genres too. And also... Another kind of a side note talking about the politics of this film. I like that she at least they at least talk about abortion. Like she's like, I'm not having an abortion, just so you know. And he's like, Oh, I didn't ask you to. But I like that we get that because after the early 80s, we get such a regression where you can't talk about abortion, you can't even like allude to it in a lot of movies. Like it's it's right. such a weird taboo. So it's it was really refreshing to see that here, which is not surprising, but still is nice to see. So another thing I liked. If I can, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Megan. It's nice that so far <laughs> one out of three of us has enjoyed the two films. The part that which really does my head in is we spend so much time with this police officer and his sidekick <laughs> and they're back and forth. And it's a different movie. It, it absolutely is. It feels yeah, like we spliced two complete different... That's a great way of describing it, Jason. Yeah. It's com- it like, it's like a, co- hey, it's comedy. It's a yeah, buddy, it's comedy. It's a buddy comedy film. <laughs> buddy co- comedy film. And then yeah. it goes nowhere. And then, no, no, it does. It ends with him having a big gag and jumping out of the back seat. You don't end up with a bullet in your head, buddy. Good yeah. Well <laughs> the ending is so bizarre. It's so weird. It almost unraveled the whole thing. Because we have me. this like tragic, like he, he realizes right. that the, the millet realizes that his objectification of women has driven this woman to rage or insanity. And he's responsible for, he's ultimately the blood is on his hands. Like she, he didn't do the killing, but he's responsible. And he's got this unborn child and he sacrifices himself at like getting a hail of gunfire. And then that should be the end of the movie. But nope, we decide to keep going, wrap yep. up the cop story <laughs> with a nice gag at the end with a freeze frame. Yeah. It felt like, like a, a an end of the episode of the IT. <laughs> yeah, it did. Oh my God. <laughs> it did. And I was like, okay, that's an odd choice to end this very dour ending it's like, oh, I don't want to send him home sad. Let's send him home happy. And they chose the A-team <laughs> ending. That's a great call, Paul. <laughs> so weird. The, 
leading to the I have to say one more thing about this and that ending and that partner that I love is another touch of authenticity in this film is that his partner is Armenian and there is such a huge Armenian community uh, in Watertown which is a suburb of Boston and so again, it was just like another thing that I was like oh we have an Armenian character I love that Some, again somebody has clearly lived in Boston who worked on this and I love that but yeah the ending right, is Megan, terrible let me Megan let me Megan you I'm so glad that this gave you joy <laughs> and I'll never take Thank away you. something that gives you joy. But I found the filmmaking to be abysmal. I found the acting to be atrocious. <laughs> now let me, let me, now let me be Paul. Let me be Paul. Prepare for a lesson in terror. This movie absolutely sucked. I can't believe anybody could find enjoyment out of this film. <laughs> You're so much kinder to each other than you are to me. I just yeah, I was gonna say it's much more. It's much <laughs> makes much more sense when I say that to Jason. So that's why I didn't say it to Megan. Aw, <laughs> well, thank you. And, and would uh, I appreciate yeah. that? All right. Paul, Paul, so, Paul and I have been abusing each other for a decade via the internet. Coming up, coming up on. Yeah. It's not. It's not a. It's not a weekend in K. If Jason hasn't had a shot at me over Twitter and I find out about it two days later, oh, hang on, better respond to that. <laughs> That's very true. Like, yes. That was a real zinger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always do it too when I think he's going to be asleep because I want yep. him to wake up in the morning and check his Twitter. Like, what the hell is this? There's a whole oh, thread. What a nice good morning. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just paying me back for all of that on the slashers. Oh, all right, Megan. <laughs> Are, you you think right. we're wrong about night school, aka what, what's the no, other uh, terror I, eyes? Terror eyes. I know, aka terror what? eyes. Because and it was another video nasty too in the UK. This was um, an, what? This is yeah. Madness. I know. I know. Oh, the video nasties I, was madness. It was. It was. I yeah. thought there were some legitimately disturbing films that they were like trying to keep away from impressionable young minds. Oh, this is, the only way this like is disturbing anything. is why are these two genres yeah. mashing together in this way? <laughs> So do we, you like? Do, would uh, you have preferred it be called Terror Eyes because it's a pun? It's like a, you know, Terror Eyes E Y E S, aka Terror Eyes. You know, would have like film better. You like Night School better. I think Terror Eyes is actually better, but neither is a really good title. <laughs> yeah, I think it is too. Night, like I get the Night School thing. The first victim is a teacher. It's at a mm -hmm. all girls college, but it, it, I don't know. It just doesn't. It's not a night school. It's just university no. so yeah i don't know i that didn't really work for me terror eyes then you can't really see the killer's eyes you see your own reflection in the visor of the helmet that's mm -hmm. kind of terrifying like a lot of that that whole helmet thing actually comes out of giallo where some at this yes. time like a, there was a lot of like helmeted giallo killers or whatever and there is something to your point megan there is something kind of scary conceptually at least about like the, the last thing you see is yourself dying as you're being killed like you don't see the person who's committing the crime. You see yourself suffering. That's really disturbing. Uh, I just wish the movie had capitalized on that a little bit more. Like some Jalos from his era, I think do a little bit better. And I think maybe some movies in the future we'll talk about do a little bit better. But mm -hmm. nevertheless, Megan, what's next in the blood pool? The next is My Bloody Valentine, the Canadian slasher. In this town on Valentine's Day... Everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't 
man, if Paul hates this one, Megan, we need to close up shop. We're done. We're fucking done. <laughs> the show is over. The show is going to get oh, so much serious. Goddamn hate yeah. mail. We'll get so much hate mail if you negatron this, Paul. Okay. Uh-oh. Do we want to know straight <laughs> off the bat or we want to hold it for yes. last? You, you let, Ma- for let, let Mega introduce oh. the film yes. and then then you can talk your shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So My Bloody Valentine came out February 11th, 1981. And it, like I said, is a Canadian slasher and it involves a bunch of miners. And there was a mining accident where some people got buried alive and one person survived. And then supposedly every year... This person comes back to terrorize the town and make sure they don't have a Valentine's Day dance because when the when the collapse of the mine happened, it happened to employee error and there was a dance happening. And so the killer wants to make sure this is not happening again. And surprise, there's going to be a dance. And so murders start happening. <laughs> this is this is a pro-union, pro-government regulation <laughs> film. <laughs> Uh, okay, Megan, can you educate us here yes. for a second? Uh-oh. So uh, the book you quoted last time, Lipstick and Chainsaws? Chainsaws and Lipstick? Oh, Carol J. Clover's Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Okay. She likely originated a criteria that we kind of looked at when we assembled our movies of like uh, what what constitutes a slasher as opposed to just like a, a thriller or a crime movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she coined the term "final girl." Yeah. Okay. There you ah. go. So one of the things that she identified is that the killer has a real or perceived injustice in their past that they've been wronged, or they think that they've been wronged because it's not always true. They've actually been wronged. They perceive mm-hmm. that they've been wronged by a community or a group of people, and their killings, even if it's decades later, are an act of revenge. To me, of all the ones that we've done thus far, this is My Bloody Valentine fits with like Friday the 13th, that trope to a T. And I think even more so than Friday the 13th, because it's much more of a more straightforward movie. Like we have an idea of who the killer is. Yes, there's a twist. But I I think of all the ones, because like this falls in line with Black Christmas, which is the OG which spawned Halloween, which spawned Friday the 13th, which then gives us My Bloody Valentine. It belongs in that genre, like the, the subgrouping of the holiday slashers. But this, this has all of those key elements that she identifies in her, in her book. There's penetrative killing weapons, although he uses a pickaxe quite a bit. And I, I'm going to go so far, I'm going to shock Paul and maybe shock you. Oh, even though it's a little bit of Halloween, even though it's a little bit of Friday the 13th, I think My Bloody Valentine is superior to the original Friday the 13th. I think this is a much better movie than the original Friday the 13th. It's not better than Halloween, but it is much better. We, we, get, we do get our equal parts melodrama, but it's not a cop melodrama. It's yes, a romance don't. melodrama. <laughs> oh, so love that, triangle. Love triangle. <laughs> but that gives us our red herrings, right? That gives us like, well, yes. maybe it's the crazy, yes. this guy who's left town and failed and came back and he seems kind of crazy. So he's probably the killer. Uh, I, I've, like, I've seen this one before, obviously, but I revisited it. And again, revisiting it within the continuity of the movies we've been watching for this show. I, my appreciation for it bloomed probably 10 times. I, I think this is a very, very solid slasher. So that's my, that's my piece. 
Megan, am I missing anything with your scholarship? This feels textbook. This feels like a textbook slasher. Yeah. I mean, I think in that regard, I think you've, you've hit everything. Like it definitely was giving Friday the 13th vibes. Um, the, the other thing I think that it also ticks the box of as far as criteria goes for slashers is that it's in a remote location. It's a small town. A lot of it takes place in the mine. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think you I think you nailed it all. But did you like it, Megan? Yeah, that's the question. That's fine. Oh, oh I, I don't. I don't think it's better by any means. Better than Friday the Thirteenth, nor definitely and definitely not Halloween. I think it's fine. It. I didn't really care about the characters. I didn't really care about the mine. It's fine. It's not bad. It's not great. It's just fine. Wow. It's just okay. So of the three we've we, you've watched so far, then you like Night School better than this one. I, I listen. <laughs> this is a better <laughs> movie. This is a better movie. I'm not. It's not a Boston that. movie. Not a Boston movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Megan I'm not hates a Canada. Confirmed. No. <laughs> Send your hate not, mail. I don't. To <laughs> I don't live Canada. in a mining town, so I can't speak to the authenticity of this. <laughs> but it's just fine. I don't think that that's not a bad thing. I didn't dislike anything. It just I liked the poems, the little like the little poems that were left, the threatening death poems on the the box of chocolates. Like that was kind of a nice touch. But yeah, I I don't know. Maybe there was too much time in between killings. I don't know. It, it like I said, it was it was fine. That's not a bad thing. Well, the future of the podcast hinges on the next minute or two. So right, will we get past episode two? Will we see it through to the end of our seven-episode arc in this special feature? But history is about to be made for for the Slashes podcast because I agree with Jason. Oh, I think this film <laughs> finally, is finally, right. Jesus Christ, this Paul, is what I come to see when I want to watch a slasher film, especially from the eighties. I want to see a. Good setup of, as we have heard, someone who thinks they've been wronged. I want to see some great, crazy kills. And this film's got these them in spades. There's a couple of absolute zingers in this movie. And I don't want to know halfway through the film 100% who the killer is. And in this film, legitimately, there are two, arguably three characters that could have been almost all the way through to the end. And there's yep, a couple yep. of little That's true. things that That's throw true. towards who it is. And, and you pick them up and then you can see it. But it's only in the last 20 minutes of the movie. So this ticked all the boxes. It's by far of the three we've discussed so far, my favorite of this particular episode. And I go so far as to say probably the best one that we've talked about so far in the, on the Slasher podcast. So let me, whoa. Let, me let me ride this wave really quick because it's going to end. Paul's going to break my heart in <laughs> short order. It's going to crash real Paul soon. and I are a tag team once again. We're on the Woo. same page. It happens so rarely. It does. <laughs> I one of the things I appreciated about this movie, and I think why it stood out on this rewatch, is of all of the movies we've watched thus far for this show, all of them, uh, I shouldn't say all of them, a great many of them are, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, are borrowing very heavily from just like standard mystery movies. But they're not very mysterious. Like it's either <laughs> very obvious no. or it's nonsensical. And this one, to your point, Paul, exactly piggybacking off what you said. There's two, three people that it legitimately could be. And if it was revealed to be any of them, it would make logical sense. Yeah. Yep. And when the twist and the reveal happens, you go, that makes sense of why this mm -hmm. person would be the way that they are 
And there is a real tragedy here. The whole town was drunk, fucking off at a Valentine's Day, whatever, while these guys were suffocating and dying, and they didn't hear the alarms, as, and these the people needed to be rescued. That is horrific. That yeah. is mm-hmm. absolutely horrific. And that would, and then the events that happen after that, uh, and what creates our killer would absolutely fuck you up and i'm gonna say like the end it's it's is is sort of silly but the ending where you see him through the rocks (laughs) and the killer and he's finally revealed and he's like basically like like i know you're alive down here dad like i'm gonna find you and we're gonna come and we're gonna come and we're gonna get you (sighs) i'm gonna find my dad and we're gonna come back and we're gonna get you oh boy is really fucked up and here's why because unlike in other slashers, we're like, well, that's the setup for the sequel. That's not the... There was no other sequel. <laughs> no, but but beyond that, I don't feel like that's the intention of the scene. I feel the intention of the scene is, like, they're trying to help him. They're, like, they're trying to dig him. After all of this, they're trying to dig him out and, like, come right, on. Right. Like, we're trying to help you. And he's so far gone, so lost. He's going off to certain death. And yeah. that is really kind of sad and scary in its own way. It's tragic. That, like, the town is rallying to try to, like... They feel empathy for him. They feel like, oh my god, like this, this, this hor- this child was horribly traumatized. Like we need to, and he's hurt. He's hurt bad. We, and even though he's killed all these people, we need to help him. And I was like, oh, finally, a movie with characters and logic and empathy and reason. I think this is great. Megan, tell us we're tell us that we are overstating it, and it's just no, mid. <laughs> no, I don't. Th- that's a thing. I, I. I know you want to set up this dichotomy so you can have conflict, <laughs> but but I don't disagree. And actually, this is something that we say on my show, but I feel like you've spoiler pieced me into giving it another shot. Like, I feel like I need to rewatch it because everything you both are saying, completely spot on. I think your observations are correct. For whatever reason, it just didn't land with me the same way okay. it did with both of you. Yeah. Possibly, Jason, it might be because... I have only seen it the one time. Maybe on a rewatch, I would appreciate it more. I I think you're both right, though, that the mystery around the killer is really great. That is really unique. As, I was going to say, aside from arguably Friday the 13th, though, because that is a mystery, too. But Mrs. Yeah. Voorhees is not in the film beforehand, so it's a complete exactly. surprise because she's a new yep. character. So you can't guess Whereas it. Yeah, here... Yeah. Right. It is a true mystery because it is one of the characters who's been in the film since almost the start. And I think that's great. And it is an incredibly tragic ending. I will say, I think this is one of the best endings of a slasher film, which is really something. So no, I, I thought this was fine. And I love that you, you both love it. I don't think you're overstating. I love everything you're both saying. And I think there is a real sense of tragedy and trauma and, uh, sadness here that is you know very pervasive and really powerful it just yeah i think i need to give it another another shot now here's where here's where i will agree with you megan here's where i will agree with you i we, when you were talking about you said that maybe it's just like the kills aren't bad the kills are good but maybe there's just too much time between the kills there mm-hmm. is especially yep. like in the middle of the movie there is like a little bit of lagginess because that's when we really focus on and it's like this is like this is the balancing act these movies have to do because right. if it's just schlock and kills we're like well they're not really characters we don't care about them yeah we don't and if the movie's yep. like okay we're gonna give 20 minutes to actually building characters and like this is why i left town this is why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people in town don't like me this is why i had to come back like i'm everybody like everybody thinks like uh it's like a uh, uh, tall poppy syndrome right it's like 
everybody thinks I, oh, you're so good college boy or whatever you left. And now you failed and you came back and like, he's dealing with that. And like the girl he loved has moved on and she's with this jerk, but she, like, it's like, that's what movies should do. But right. at the same time, it does go on a little too long. So I, I do agree with you. It does kind of bog down the middle of the movie. I think it's got a very strong opening, very strong ending. There, there, there is a good mm-hmm. killer too in the middle, but oh, the melodrama, in the, middle. the melodrama does get a little heavy. It does get a little TV movie. You're right, Meg. Yeah, I'll hear what you're both saying there, and I agree. But I think what got me through there was um, the chief is pretty good in this movie. Like, I totally yeah. bought yes. in with his character. He's uh, Don Franks plays him, not someone I'm familiar with. But, yeah, he was a believable enough chief, and he really seemed to be trying his heart out to sort of stop this thing from happening. And I like that slow realization that, oh, shit, maybe Harry is back. So yeah. I guess that got me through staying on, on the journey with him. So Can, can I also say, because Harry's not dead, he's was confined to an institution after turning to cannibalism and murdering people. The reveal at the very end where they're like, we just got word from the hospital. Harry's been dead okay. since whatever, however many, however long, eight months or eight years, whatever it's been. And just like the analog world of a remote yes. <laughs> right. mining, a, a, a podunk town, or, you know, a de- a, like a desolate, dying, almost dead town. Right. With a very small population in Canada. I totally believe that it would take forever because to your point, Paul, he immediately is like, make sure he's still in that yep. institution. And it, it and it comes back at the end of the movie. It's not like there's some really bad horror movies where it's like, like to your, what drives you insane, Paul. It's like none of the characters act logically. Mm-hmm. I think that sheriff character or whatever he is, I think he acts completely logically all the way through. He doesn't does jump to any conclusions. Oh, yes. He does his best. It's a bizarre situation. Mm-hmm. As soon as like things go sideways, he's like, "Now nah, we're canceling the party." He's like, "We got to be done with this. We got to like, we got to keep the public safe." So yeah, and then the the payoff of like, well, he's been dead, and you're like, "Well, then who is it?" Because the movie yeah. almost convinces you. Well, clearly, this is an, another escaped mental patient. I love. We've watched how many movies with escaped mental patients? <laughs> I love the twist because the movie knows that you're going to think it's Harry. You're going to think it's another mm-hmm. escaped mental patient, and it's not. He's dead. It's this 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 guy that's been in town the whole time under everybody's nose. It's just great, man. It's I I yeah, good shit. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I love everything that you're saying. And it's but it, what's really fascinating is that it does subvert that trope, but yet it is still hinging on mental illness with that you know the trauma that the character has from his dad's death and and seeing his father murdered, and which I think is really interesting. And also speaking to the remoteness of this town and uh, TJ coming back after being in college again, that speaks to such a recurring theme in all of these films. Yep about college-educated people, rich people versus working class, less educated people. And I just think it's really, it's it's fascinating that we keep seeing this come up over and over again in each of these films. The one other thing I want to mention about this movie, when this is such a like throwaway line, but it really irritated the hell out of me, is when the when Patty, the woman in red, wants to go into the mines and she's like, everybody, let's go into the mines. And and Hollis, her boyfriend, is they're gonna he's gonna take them. And TJ's like, you can't take women into the mines. Women can't go into the mines. And I'm like, that's the reason? Because they're women, not because they're, you know, not mine workers or because you're all drunk. Like Yeah, it's horribly unsafe. It yeah. Right, right. It's, yeah. No, it's because they're little ladies. Yeah. <laughs> might get dirty. <laughs> The famous bit of trivia for 
of this movie though is that they they shot it in a real mine and you can tell it's, it was an active mm-hmm. explored mine and i think that goes a long way for the movie so mm-hmm. when they actually arrived Definitely. to the town to shoot it they had cleaned the mine the mine so it was like there was no soot it was an absolutely pristine mine and they had to spend they had to get more money for the budget to dirty the mine back up so it looked like a dirty mine <laughs> <laughs> which is just the whole town was like well we can't show them our dirty mine we're gonna clean it up and they scrubbed the mine clean which is hilarious to me so uh yeah i also i think this is our is this our first canadian slasher maybe i think so yeah i can't remember back to last year off the top of my head but we've got one from boston one from canada and one from la <laughs> apparently <laughs> N- nothing from Perth so far. Sorry, Paul. No, looking out for that Not one. Yet. Not <laughs> nothing yet. from Australia. Uh, finally, yeah. finally, yeah, a little bit of consensus. Yes. My God, <laughs> almost. <laughs> All right, we're getting we'll there. Continue we're getting there. <laughs> with the last film this week. Yes, our last film is Toby Hooper's The Fun House, which came out March thirteenth, nineteen eighty-one. Something is alive in the Fun House. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. About a group of kids, four of the, well, four teens who go to a funhouse and decide they want to spend the night inside the funhouse, and then murder happens. And of course, who can forget Amy's jerk little brother? Joey or whatever his name is. Yes. And he Ugh. decides to also sneak out of the house and go to the fun house and be a little jerk because he is a jerk right from the opening film. Oh, because you see a POV shot from the killer or what you think would be the killer. And oh, it's a red herring because it's just Joey scaring his sister while she's taking a shower. Not gross at all. <laughs> it's definitely a <laughs> Halloween psycho oh, homage. Sure. How many... Absolutely. Psycho homages have we seen thus far of shower death. So many. Joey is, I think, the first character in these movies other than, well, he's more, I would say he is the first character who seems is seemingly aware of horror movie tropes. He references, yeah. like, he's into horror movies. Yes. His whole bedroom mm. is all horror movie-esque. And I think he only exists, because at the end of the day, like, his plot just sort of resol- resolves itself. I think he only exists so to make us think that Toby Hooper is going to kill a kid. Like, I think he only right, exists right. to be at the periphery of yeah. like, oh, the whole time we're going to be worried that he's going to die. Uh, well, if he wasn't then... such an a-hole, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, make it look like you're going to say something. What were you going to say? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, as far as kind of self-aware horror trope characters, we have the protagonist from Fade to Black uh, in 1980, oh, yeah. who is very aware of horror tropes and, and references horror films. More the golden age of cinema, of course, yeah. but he's also yeah. very into horror cinema as well. Yeah, it's true. Paul, well, I'm very curious about what you and Megan think about this movie. We'll start with you, Megatron. Okay, I was a big fan of an author by the name of Richard Lamont who worked mainly through the 80s and 90s and his style of books was, you know, he, he would slashes and then really lecherous, nasty men doing terrible things to women and 
there's always a, a horrible sexual sadistic vibe to his books and every so often he veer off into just straightforward occult and, and supernatural horror but all his books have this very similar thing which is they're really slow for the first half two-thirds as he really takes his time building these characters up and then things happen in a rush in the last half an hour if you will of the book or the last 50 pages 60 pages of the book that's this film for me this film Real, it feels like it's a real throwback to the seventies. It's so slow moving and slow paced, and that's okay mm-hmm. to a point. But by the middle part of this movie, given that a hole Joey, all he's doing is actually extending the runtime of this film because nothing happens. He just gets sent home. <laughs> what do you fucking do? This film could have been a lot better had it been fifteen minutes shorter and we got into things a bit quicker. But I actually think that the atmosphere that it builds is. I mean, this is a proper film, right? This is directed by a proper film director. It looks like a film, it, as opposed to some of the shit that we've had to sit through so far. Uh, and it plays out like a film. And it's got some decent actors in it, to our point at the original part. Kevin Conway, as the, the dad slash freak show bark, he's completely convincing in this role. And yeah, um, yeah I overall, I think this is a, a pretty good film. Not in the level of My Bloody Valentine, but certainly a lot better than the other couple that we've seen this week. Sorry, Megan. Our host with the most, Megan. What do you think? <laughs> So I've seen Funhouse before. I saw it, I don't know, eight, ten years ago at uh, there's a theater in Boston or right outside of Boston called the Coolidge Corner Theater. It's an amazing independent theater and they run a horror marathon every year for 12 hours. And at one of the horror marathons, I saw this and I liked it then. I like it even more on a, on a second watch um, because for uh, all the reasons or most of the reasons you're saying, Paul, I think that I like Toby Hooper as a filmmaker. I love Salem's Lot. Absolutely adore Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Poltergeist is great. And I think here he really, really builds atmosphere. It's incredibly unnerving and creepy and eerie with the carnival dolls and the animatronic dolls and how like menacing and unsettling they are even though they're just creepy clown-ish dolls and the the score is great with the little carnival music touches and then everything does kind of come together rapidly at the end but I'm okay with that because of the great atmosphere and world building that's happening in this film and really striking images like there's some fantastic cinematography here and it's very like I can't see how Guillermo del Toro in his Nightmare Alley could not have been inspired by Mm. some of the shots Mm. from this film because there's the enormous eye and then you have Amy and um, her boyfriend. They're framed in a giant mouth with like green iridescent light and it's just it's just some stunning, stunning shots. So I really like this film a lot. I also really appreciate that the killer is kind of a sympathetic killer in the sense that he, I mean, he's a creep. He's gross. He strangles a woman, you know, after she won't have sex with him when he pays for sex, which is very disturbing, obviously. But he's really sad. And, and he, well, the first time we see him, he's wearing a Frankenstein's monster's mask. And it very much is evocative of James Whale's Frankenstein and very much kind of the same way of pathos that the monster is a sympathetic uh, character. And I think that the killer here has a sympathy about him, you know, because of his abusive father and because he's deformed and all of these things. So I just find this a really interesting and entertaining film. So I like it a lot. I think the movie suffered when it was when it came out largely because it was in the wake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I think everybody was assuming that this 
based on that, just if you, even if you just look at the, the 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 marketing of it all and the poster and everything, like mm-hmm. it almost seems like it's going to be another like creepy carny carny family, and they got a deformed right. guy in the back, and they're going to chop you up and all this sort of stuff. That's not really what it is at all. It is no. It almost harkens back to movies from the 30s and 40s. Megan, to your point, it's almost like Universal horror. I I would imagine it. It maybe even he borrowed some stuff from the original Nightmare Alley. It feels a little. Mm-hmm. It's not quite noir, yep. but it definitely feels. It feels more of like 40s kind of like so, like sometimes noir would would delve almost like to surrealism surrealism a little bit like it'd get real surreal and that's kind of the vibe that this movie has because the carnival is a surreal environment like that is what it Mm. does it brings surrealism so it's it definitely seems like he's intentionally not making texas chainsaw massacre he's intentionally making a more classical style film with at that time 1981 modern kind of sensibilities to your point paul especially towards towards the end you know and we do have the quote-unquote the monster who is sympathetic who's just a deformed child who is just grown up without love or you know real parentage or whatever so I've, I've this is a rewatch for me as well and i've never really jived with it as much as i did this time because i think the first time years ago when i watched it, it was like okay Toby Hooper, like it's gonna be crazy, you know. It's called <laughs> Fun House, and like it's a, and it really isn't, you know. It's based, it is based on a novel, and I don't know how the novel plays, but it is like to your point, Paul. It is, it's a, it's a slow burn, and it is mm-hmm. a, like you said, Megan. It's atmospheric. It is doing a lot with visuals. It's doing a lot with, I think my detriment, like my where I would ding it. And maybe this is more on me and maybe that you two could help me. What is this ultimately? It seems like he's got bigger ideas on his mind than just like, you know, crazy carnival monster kills people. Is it the, like, cause the, the carnival barker says something of like, he, he either says it, you know, cause he kind of talks to nobody and also talks to his son and also talks to the people in the ceiling, the, the, the teens. At some point he's like, we'll just, we'll make the bodies disappear and we'll pack up. And before you know it, we'll be in another town. Is it like preying upon the fear of the outsider, the fear of the other, the fear of the, the low class Cardi, the what, what, what's going on here? What, what is the, cause he's building atmosphere. What's the subtext? I guess I, that was where I had a hard time like connecting with it. What's the subtext. This is the, like, so the outside, but it's the, again, the class thing. Like these are, mm. This is an out. This yep. is a term you're not allowed to use anymore, and I do apologize. But these are the gypsies that are wandering through yeah. here, yeah. and you know you can't trust them. These carnies that come through, they just want to take your money. In this case, it's even worse because he does heavily imply that because of the kid, kid, you know, the sympathetic monster, they've killed people before and covered it up. So this is yeah. you know, right. this not the first time I've had you, you've had to do this. What's the difference this time? He, he kind of says. So they're not, he's not a good person. And as much as the monster might not really understand the ramifications of what he's doing, he is a murderer. And these are very dangerous people. And they happen to have, the teens happen to have run across them at a vulnerable moment and are now going to have to die for it. Cooper Huckabee plays Buzz. He says that we're not just trying to get out of here now. We're trying to survive. He, yeah, he picks it yeah. very fast what's going on. So, and he's right. He, he nails it. That's my basic take on it. 
I think you're absolutely right, both of you. And I really think that in Tobey Hooper's work, especially early on, that is a lot of what he's exploring is the fear of urban or suburban as opposed to um, rural areas and that kind of dichotomy. And that's Mm. definitely what's happening here as far as, you know, this nomadic circus group and how, you know, unnerving that is and how scary that is. And even Amy's dad, right from the start of the film is like, you're not going to that carnival, are you? Because there were those two girls who died at the other one. And like immediately we have the seed of that fear planted before we've even ever stepped foot at the carnival. So yeah, I think there, this film is definitely reifying that fear of nomadic groups and of rural areas and the unknown. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely playing into that quite well. Maybe though, Toby Hooper's got a, a bigger agenda here because clearly there's some bad seeds as his bad apple, this Barker and his son. But mm-hmm. maybe the Joey character exists here to show that not all like this. There's some there's some decent human beings that, that travel carnivals and yes, they're making a living, but they wrap him in a blanket and call his parents and get his parents to come out and pick him up. And then the little That's shit, because right. he remembers his sister... <laughs> is going to get him for what she did at the start of the film. Leaves yep. her there, even though he kind of he, he, he hears her or something. <laughs> what a little prick. Sorry, I'm getting yeah. off the point. No, but that's a great point because you're right. That, that gentleman who works at the carnival does help and is very, very caretaking and very nurturing and very gentle. And so I think that is a really great point. It's like, oh, he's not demonizing. Toby Hooper's not demonizing everyone who works in a mm. carnival or he's not demonizing everyone who lives a nomadic or rural lifestyle. It's just I'm showing you these people and, and this yeah. kind of tension that's brewing underneath the surface in society on a societal level. So I think that's an excellent point, Paul. I don't think it's a Thanks. I don't think it's a tangent at all. I think it was really crucial. Didn't he didn't it seem though, and maybe this was just from a parent's perspective, didn't it seem a little bit though that he was sort of coded as maybe being a little creepy towards the kid? He's like, Oh, you know, he's such a beautiful boy. And like there was there was a little Mm, something not right there i i did i know what you're talking about jason i did see that and i was like oh because i i didn't remember that scene so i was like oh no is this guy actually going to turn out to be a major creep and he's not and so i think it's arguably a red herring but yeah i did i did pick up on that too (laughs) i was too busy focusing on how much of an awful parent the mother was so oh horrible (laughs) (laughs) horrible horrible absolutely horrible that's how the film's depicting it dad's just kind of he's too frightened to say much of anything because he's a wimp and mum just rules that house with an iron fist so well they're kind of they they're kind of shitty parents because like Mm -hmm. their their very young child ran away and went to a carnival and was found in the trailer of a carny wrapped in a blanket i know some boy who's not going to be walking straight tomorrow yeah exactly it was like yeah it was like Yeah, I was like, okay, like you, there no, they were not concerned. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was weird. I was just say, Megan, what did you make of you know the dad's like, like don't go to the carnival. Like girls have gone missing in the town over, blah blah blah. Like everything he said, and she gets in the car with the pushy boyfriend, and the boy, mm-hmm. she's like, like let's go to the movies or whatever. Like, and she's like, oh, we're, mm-hmm. there's this carnival, and he's just like, I don't know, it's pretty dangerous. I don't want to go to the carnival. It's and he kind of forces the idea of going yeah. to carnival on her. Yep. What do you make of that? 1981. Oh, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> glad. No, I, I, I'm actually really glad that you brought this up because I think that is a 
pivotal scene in this film. And this is part of the reason why I like this film so much, because I think it's showing in such a great way how consent works without getting into consent because consent's not just about sexuality and it's not just, you know, about that. And I, so I love that it's showing this and I love that it's showing like Amy is a good person and, you know, she's very much set up as our very traditional final girl. And I think she's great for various reasons. But what I like is that she wants to do what she wants to do. She wants to be rebellious, but she also does want to listen to her dad. And she's like, kind of like, it's very clear. Like she's like, Oh yeah, that's actually good advice. Maybe we shouldn't go. And I think this scene. Yeah. And I think this scene is really crucial because it shows what an absolute asshole her boyfriend is and how he's just like, doesn't give a shit what she thinks. He's like, Nope, we're going to go. And then even her friend who's like, stop being so uptight, you know, just loosen up. And I really suck. appreciate. Oh yes. my god, her friends were terrible. So I oh, really that dude steals that, that fucking money. Oh. I was like, oh my oh, god, what a scumbag! <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, you're right, Megan. Because what I liked about Amy's character was that she's like her dad is making sense. <laughs> like again, mm-hmm. her dad is like, I don't want you to go in there because you know there's this thing in the news about this thing, and you know I don't whatever. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't want to go there. That yeah, we'll just we're going, we'll just go to the movies or whatever. And it seems to be like when she that she's not just telling him that, she really is like, I don't want to go there, it's dangerous. She gets in the car, she really advocates for like, we shouldn't be going there. Like, we we have other people waiting for us. Like, like I told my parents, like, let's just go do the thing that we're gonna do. We'll have we'll still have a good time. We'll still right. whatever, fool around, drink, we'll, we'll, you know, whatever. Down. Yeah, and like they, the peer pressure they put on her of like all of them of like, oh come on, what are you afraid of? Blah, 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 blah. And like even when she gets there, she's like, I don't really want. And like the nerd who's you know the worst character, uh, the thief is like, oh come on, you know, like look at all these weirdos. Let's do let's do this, let's do that. And it's just like, yeah, I I I really enjoyed her character, and I thought what a refreshing sort of take of a character who has a brain (laughs) yes yes and then at the end honestly like the end like the it's a repeat of the joey shot they do um with when it's like the crane where the camera cranes up above the carnival Mm -hmm. and they're packing up and they're Mm -hmm. gonna go the next town and she's just sort of it's not quite texas chains of master but very similar where she's just sort of in a delirium just walking through i was like that's very ominous Yes. And nobody's yeah. even looking she's at her. She's not quite sure None... she's going to be okay. <laughs> yes. You're not mm-hmm. sure that like somebody's not going to grab her or something, you know? And it's like, but we've seen all the the bad guys. They're dead, you know? They're gone. But it doesn't, it still doesn't feel safe. The world no, no. no longer feels safe for her. Well, because her and... whole view of the world has changed now. For yes. She's, tra- she's traumatized exactly. forever. Exactly. Bingo, Paul. Exactly. Yes. Yes. This is Bingo. why I love this film. This is it. You are, you, yes, you are both articulating it. This is the unsettling ending. And I think that's another reason that makes her such a great final girl is, and Elizabeth Berridge is great in this performance. She's also really great in Amadeus too, but she is, we really get an encapsulation of what she's feeling, this trauma of seeing all her friends dead as she's like running past them. And even though they're jerks and they are, and I don't, I can't stand them. But she's still, like, you know, terrified, understandably yep. so. And we really feel her pain. And then at the end, while she does make it out, yeah, you're like, 
even if she does even if she does make it home quote okay and she, she fight will mom. never be okay <laughs> yeah well Sorry. there's that <laughs> you be very serious Yes, but she'll never be okay. And, you know, and then that's arguably like you could argue that's that that's what Toby Hooper is saying about women in society is that they'll never be truly safe. They'll never be okay. Mm -hmm. They always have to look over their shoulder. So, yeah. So I just, oh, great ending. Don't get in strange cars with jerk boys. No. Good luck. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Honestly, yeah. I think thank you. That elucidates it for me. I was, I was like, I, I okay. get it, but I'm trying to put these pieces together, and I think that that is. I think that's kind of if you have to say like, what is the takeaway? You know, what is the message? Not every movie needs to have a message, but if there is a message here, I think it kind of is like stay on your ground. If something doesn't yes. feel safe, yes. don't do it, because there are mm-hmm. real consequences. Yeah. Is usually correct. It's interesting, too, that we don't want to go too far down that road, but it's interesting that the boy character ends up being okay and the girl character ends up being traumatized at the same carnival. The brother, Joey, is fine, basically. Yes. Yes. And she is not. That we know of, yeah. That we know. Yeah, that we know of, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on how you read that situation. Right. Yeah, Yeah, very much so, yes. Yeah, listen to your parents. Don't go to strange places and listen to your gut. Like, like, yeah. Yes. Stay on your ground. Yeah, I don't even gut. know if it's listen to your parents. It's listen to good advice, wherever yes. that's coming yes. from. And it just good happened point. to be from because it didn't come from her mom. <laughs> yes. No even if, even if your dad's no. a jerk, he might be right. <laughs> you know, listen to good <laughs> he advice. Might have good advice. <laughs> yeah, he might have good right. advice. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yep. Okay. Wow. Thank you. I feel educated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did it yourself, but or we did it together. We did. Well, that's what the that's what the show's for. Statement. We 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 think <laughs> exactly. through the stuff together. That's the fun of it. Exactly. I love it. All right. Are we ready now to dole out some awards? This is where the goodwill ends. <laughs> we found so much goodwill. It all yeah. goes right in the pisser. I know. <laughs> Let's find out. Since we're talking about final girls, let's let's start off. Who is your best final girl. I think we've just talked about her. If I can jump in and go in first, I think it's Amy in the Funhouse by a long, yes. long way. Agreed. There isn't a final girl in night school. The home sweet home <laughs> girl is ultra lame. We didn't even talk about her. She just faints and falls asleep. Well done to you. <laughs> and the final girl um, is supported by the the hero, the final guy in My Bloody Valentine. So it's definitely Amy, not just by default, but because she's a really good final girl. She eventually has to fight her way through this and manages to do so in a smart, intelligent way and survive. So well done, Amy. Well, if any, the, the final girl in night school is the killer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or you could argue that it's the police Lieutenant Austin. And he's a boy. You could make that argument. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Not saying you it's want the, to, but you could. <laughs> it's the practical joke, loving police Lieutenant. Yeah. yeah who, <laughs> who, oh my God, that who so pretends bad. to kill a recently traumatized person. Yeah. <laughs> Freeze frame. Now nah, we're all on the same page. It's definitely Amy for sure. Yeah, there you Yay! go. Oh my, yeah, woo. without question, it's Amy. The Amy is continues. the best. Love Amy. Yeah. Woo, 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 woo. All right. So let's talk about best kill. This will be divisive. <laughs> will it? I will. I will say that I think the best kill is in my bloody Valentine, and this is where Paul. I had Paul up to that point. This is where I lose him. It is okay. the. Uh-oh. 
woman who is turned into a faucet of her own shower. Okay, right, yeah. Oh, good That is so creative, and so she's like, I'm going to go take a shower, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go off and do whatever and find whatever it is he's doing. And he comes back, and he's like, oh, oh, you're, you know, he starts to get undressed, and then just the blood from her head is the shower, and he's so horrified. I thought that was, I thought that was, it was so creative. It's so different than just a slashing. It's, we're really now getting into what we wouldn't see from Jason Voorhees for a couple more iterations of the Friday series where it's like mm-hmm. some kind of creative mutilation. So that yeah. I love, that yeah. was the one I loved the most. It was just so different. What'd you, what'd you have, Megan? Oh, what? <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to pick this, but I am. The flying it's not because it's technically not, you know, using a slashing weapon, but home sweet homes. Yeah. <laughs> kill. You know, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, a lot of these films don't have a, like as memorable as some of these films are, they don't necessarily have a really memorable kill for me, but that I will never, ever, ever forget the trunk body slam murder. (laughs) (laughs) Jason is one happy man. I am so happy in my heart. (laughs) I'm 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 glad I can bring you that joy. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. (laughs) No, I hated the movie, but that kill is great. No, I enjoyed you picking that more than I enjoyed the movie. What a great turn of events. Nice, nice. I love it. That was wonderful. That's why, like I told Megan is a wild card. You never know what she's going to come with, ever. I love it. It's true. I I went with my bloody Valentine as well, and it could have been one of three or four kills, including the one that you mentioned, Jason. But I I went with the pickaxe through the bottom of the chin. With yeah. the Ooh. blade coming out of his eye, with the eye hanging off the end, because <laughs> it's that little extra detail which really, which really did it for me. Just that the fact it was extra. The it's fact it was the eye guy eye. who had been saying, "Oh, you better not have this party," because and then he decides, "You damn kids, I'm going to scare you real good." And then he yeah. three times he goes back to that door, that doorway. The shot goes back. He's like, "Nope, nope, there it is." Bam. I was expecting yep. to get it through the top of the head because that's what happens all the time with a pickaxe, oh, right, yeah. in horror films. That's true. No, no, the other way, which I thought was quite inventive and different too. So uh, another vote for at least my bloody Valentine kill in that respect. That is a good kill too. I agree with you on that. All right. Best cult film or favorite cult film? Home Sweet Home Baby. <laughs> oh, no. oh, home Jason. Sweet Home. <laughs> Jason, come on. <laughs> I told you the goodwill was going to end. I've said enough about it. I've taken enough abuse for it. Let's just move on to Paul. Paul, what is your what is your favorite cult film? I just, I, I, this is the category I struggle with in terms of giving these awards for the, for the blood pool each week. Because, you know, is it the film which is so deplorably shithouse yet might people might find funny and like Jason had with Home Sweet Home? Or are you trying to award, it's not the best film, but the film which is most cult, like you say, because it can't be the best yeah, high yeah. budget, whatever film. So I fucking hate that I'm doing this, but I guess I agree with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, yeah. What? Whoa! Because there's two good films <laughs> in this blood pool this week, and they're good yeah. films, so they're not cult classics. I, I mean, I guess maybe my bloody Valentine could be considered to be culty because it's of its. Whereas yeah. the Funhouse is too good a film to be considered a cult classic, in my opinion. Yeah, and the truth is that most of these most of these movies underperformed. You know, the Funhouse was not a hit. That's true. Uh, My Bloody Valentine was not really a hit. 
These are underperforming movies. So technically they're kind of all okay. got lumped into cult movie status, but I think the reputation of Funhouse, the Funhouse, and the reputation of My Bloody Valentine has gone on to exceed its initial reception. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some of these, you know, Night School is, I think, is a lower scene movie, and Home Sweet Home definitely is. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, well, you're you're taking the words right out of my mouth because and maybe the goodwill has has sunk because my cult film, I can't believe it, is Night School. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that lines up. Makes that sense. Lines up. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen, I know this is not a good movie by any means, but I had so I, I had so much fun with it. Even besides the Boston stuff, I did. I love and I like a lady killer. I'm here for it. So I did. I had fun with this. <laughs> you like what you like, like you said, Bing. Yep. You I like did. what you yeah. like. What are you gonna We're, do? What are you gonna do? That's what that award I think is for too. Is for us to advocate. Like, hey, our brains know this movie's no good. <laughs> <laughs> but right. there's something to there's things to enjoy in it, you know, and you enjoy exactly. the one thing to enjoy in Home Sweet Home. We've talked about it ad nauseum <laughs> yes. in this episode. So good, so good. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about best poster. Mm, I think it's got to be My Bloody Valentine, go- right? Yep. Yes. Yep. 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 That's mine too. Such a strange the one with the mask and the blood, the blood coming from yep. the. Yep. Yep. Classic. Completely. Absolute agree. classic. Yep. Now we're into All it, right. Megan. And what are we doing next? We are. We are. Our final one. The best film. Megan, I want to start Jason. with you. Oh, no. I was going to no. say Jason. No, no, you no, go no. First. no, no, no. No, no, no. Let's host? start with you. <laughs> you want me to go first? Okay. Yes. I'll go first. This is an easy one. Funhouse. How many sharp objects out of five? I'm going to give it for ambiance and for final girl. I'm giving it four sharp objects. Okay. All right. Paul, I'm going my bloody Valentine for all the reasons we discussed, and if we we do half bloody objects right, we don't have to be full yeah. score. So yeah. I I can't go as high as four. I'll go three and a half very sharp objects for uh, my bloody Valentine. Greatly enjoyed it. Ooh, very and sharp would, objects. Would like watch that. again. <laughs> one of you is a winner. One of you is a loser. Because I agree with one of you. <laughs> Here we go. So it's not home sweet home, I think Jason. You agree with Paul. It's not I home sweet home. I agree with Megan. It's the fun Ooh. house. Oh, that's yes. the best My run movie comes to an end. This, this blood pool, and I give it. I'm, I'm not quite there, but three point five out of five, just behind Megan with it. All really right. enjoyed it. All right. My runner-up would be My Bloody Valentine, but yeah, my runner-up is the fun house. The fun house is oh, a better directed. You know, the cinematography, everything Megan said. That's fair. Cinematography, everything. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it more. And I just, again, it's another one that was elevated with this rewatch, which has been an interesting thing for me to experience during the show. So, (sighs) That's why I think it's so important sometimes if you can to rewatch things, because I think it it can oftentimes solidify your opinion, either for better or for worse. So That's very true. 100%. So. This has been my favorite episode thus far because I felt less personally <laughs> degraded by Paul. Uh, I'll work on I'm it for next episode. Act. Sorry, I'm sorry, listeners who come just for that part of the show. Yeah, Paul, do better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm Let's excited for the next more. episode. I'm excited for the next episode. 
Yes, I am too. And speaking of the next episode, let's talk about the blood pool for the next episode. We're going to be talking about the burning, happy birthday to me, the prowler, and butcher baker, nightmare maker. (laughs) Yes. I can't believe. If you haven't heard of one of those, (laughs) you're not alone. I cannot wait for what Paul and Megan have to say about butcher baker, nightmare maker. I'm excited. Uh, I yes. think we're done, so, right? What? We are? are we done? Nope, not yet. We are not oh, okay. done yet. No, because if you want to follow the Slashers podcast, you can listen on various social media platforms, and such as Letterboxd, where we are the Slashers. That strangled scream you heard right there was Megan dropping out, unfortunately, before she could finish that point, which is to say you can also get us Slashes podcast at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed the second episode of the Slashes podcast, 1981 part one. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, we'll catch you later. <laughs>